In the summer of 1994, one of the largest high school basketball summer tournaments took place at my hometown and played in my high school's gym. The Great American Shootout brought teams from all over the country, but no team packed out the gym with fans quite like one team from Long Beach, California. The entire gym was a buzz about one player in particular. Shea Cotton was a 15-year-old phenom that drew crowds wherever he went. He had already graced the pages of Sports Illustrated as a teenager, and as many people have said, he was LeBron James before LeBron James. He was destined for the NBA, for fame, for fortune. But fast forward to 2018, and Shea Cotton is neither rich nor famous, but he still considers himself a success. You're listening to the PSB Podcast in our series entitled Hoop for Thought, where we will examine the culture of youth basketball and youth sports in America. I'm Logan Kozmalski, the co-founder of Pro Skills Basketball and your host. To assemble a dream team, a dream team of the best 14 and under players in the country, perhaps at the top of the list would be a kid by the name of Shea Cotton. Good pass to Cotton for two. Shea Cotton. Oh, Shea Cotton. But Shea Cotton comes up with a loud two. And Cotton, Cotton the athletic move for two. Cotton for two more. Oh, what a play by Cotton there. I saw Shea at the height of his popularity. The next five to ten years, would be an emotional roller coaster for him. He would commit to play at Long Beach State, UCLA, and NC State, but never take the court for any of those schools due to problems with the NCAA. After a season at Long Beach City College, he would eventually find his way on the court and play for the University of Alabama in the 1999-2000 season. After one year with the Crimson Tide, he declared for the NBA draft only to be heartbroken by going undrafted. He would end up spending 10 years playing in Europe, China, South America, and even touring with the Harlem Globetrotters. These days, Shea runs his own California-based youth basketball program called Manchild Elite, Manchild being his nickname growing up. I was excited to talk with Shea about his experiences and see if and how his career affects the way he teaches and mentors a new generation of young players. So Shay, if you wouldn't mind to start out, can you give us like a quick synopsis of, of your story, you know, from the time that you were 15 years old and how your you know, high school career turned out and all the way through through college and, and, and into the pros? So uh, by the time I was 15, I was ranked top player in North America. Uh, Sports Illustrated, I did a four-page layout on me. Um, I became the, the first player to be the CIF State Player of the Year in California history. Uh, 1995, around that same time, and uh, was propelling at an alarming rate. Uh, wound up being top top 20 in the country pretty much all through high school, um, with the likes of Kevin Garnett, Stephon Marbury, Ron Mercer, Jermaine O'Neal, you know, uh, to name a few at that at that time. Uh, this was before social media, obviously. Uh, went on and, and received accolades like the McDonald's All-American, Parade All-American, Street Smith, John Wooden Player of the Year, things like that in high school, and proceeded to go into college where I uh, committed to Long Beach State where my brother was playing um, and actually 
wound up leaving there with my brother turned hardship for the NBA, uh, requested to be released and was, opened up my recruiting process again, wound up signing with UCLA at that time with uh, Baron Davis, Earl Watson, Billy Knight. That was my freshman class. Those were my teammates. Uh was under some heavy scrutiny at NC2A. was uh, giving me a, a bit of a hard time. Still at that point in my life, so I chose to, uh, I had to leave there. They invalidated my test board uh, out of the blue that was already approved and accepted. Yeah. And um, I wound up going back east to the northeast, uh, St. Thomas More in Oakdale, Connecticut, for prep school. Mm-hmm. And uh, went out there and pretty much destroyed the NEPSAC in a short, short length of time. And played played really well because I was really upset and I wanted to get out of there as soon as I could to get where I needed to be. And wound up uh, signing with NC State and ACC. Didn't quite work out. NC Two A was still giving me a hard time and uh, came back home. Played at Long Beach City College. Was one of the JUCO newcomers of the year. Led my team to score. I think we went to a 33 and one record, the first time in school history, mm-hmm. and uh, that's where I. Landed my scholarship to the University of Alabama, Roll Tide. And from there, did one year there. I was uh, all SEC, led my team in scoring. Didn't have the experience I thought I would. And uh, went hardship, went undrafted into the NBA, was undrafted. And then I wound up playing 10 years professionally everywhere else but the NBA, predominantly in Europe, South America, and Asia. Okay. Wow. Sounds like a really... You know, a roller coaster of, of emotions, a lot of probably a lot of what, ups. It sounds like a roller coaster. Wait till you see the film. <laughs> <laughs> Tell our listeners about what it was like, how you, I mean, you were a kid. How did you handle the emotions of, you know, committing to a college and then it not working out? And then, you know, when you went undrafted in the NBA, like how, how was how was that on you emotionally at such a young age? Uh, I mean, it does, I mean, you know, just tumultuous to, to say the least, you know, you you just feel lifeless when you do everything right, do everything the best way you can, and people just keep chopping you down. You know, yeah. I just wanted a break. I couldn't seem to get a break. You know, I, I was I was better than everybody else. I worked hard. You know, I had abilities that other guys didn't, and I showcased it. And I felt like I did my part. And when it was time for the favor to be returned for my hard work, the reward was a hard time. The reward was was unprecedented. You know, it was it was unspeakable. Yeah. what I was going through. You know, I mean, you're talking about life and death yeah. situations that I'm in. You know, can't can't believe that I'm in this position. And people need to understand that if it the thing about my man child documentary that's so powerful is I was the number one player in North America at this time when all this stuff was happening. Yeah. And people need to realize if it can happen to me, it can happen to anyone. And that's what's more impactful about my story, the humanitarian component. Yeah, and the test of fortitude. Yeah, you mentioned like being ranked and and it not working out. Like, what do you when you look at like youth basketball now and you see like I mean we we work with a lot of kids who are who are very concerned about where they're ranked and where they're ranked in North Carolina, where they're ranked in the nation. Like, how, what what's what's advice you give to kids about you know who are concerned about their ranking and, and their exposure? Uh, you know, today I think it's just out of hand. I think it's a, the, the talent's diluted. The kids really need to focus on. You know their weaknesses, and, and stick stick to the people that love you for who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's too many too many parasites and leeches, and uh, everything's just gotten out of hand. They turned it into a business at a much younger age now than it even was when we were playing, mm-hmm. uh, which is crazy when you think about it. And I think that's a big reason why things are the way they are in the state of basketball, not just in the collegiate realm, mm-hmm. but just in basketball in general. They really got to buckle down and do some things differently because it's affecting the nature of the game as a whole right now. 
Yeah. And what do you what do you see as a problem? The sense of self entitlement within the kids and the parents living vicariously through them at the same time. Yeah. Okay. And I was so that that brings up I was gonna ask you too, as you were going through all this stuff, you had adults around you. Did you have did you feel like you had adults around you that looking back at it now, were they were they in it for your best interest? Did um, did you have people that were were really there that you could trust, or did you have people that were there to sort of take advantage of your stature? I think when I was coming up, a lot of people was in it for what they can gain. Mm-hmm. You know, opportunistic. I had a mother and father that, that loved me and, and raised me the best way they knew how, and uh, I wouldn't do anything different. You know, I'm glad that I was raised with integrity and, you know, dignity mm-hmm. and, and things like that because that's few and far between. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was a kid in a, in, a, in a man's world at that time. Well, now I'm a man, and I understand the dynamic. So I, I have a lot more to offer to the kids. There's a lot more value there than just basketball. You know, these are life skills being taught through my program and our foundation. So yeah. that's what excites me. Yeah. Can you talk about some of those life skills that you think that you teach through basketball? Yeah, the life, life skills more more importantly today is like integrity. You know, it's very important. Very, people, very few people do what they say they're going to do. So... If you could do that in your life, you're going to go further than most people. And, you know, things like handling adversity, understanding what resilience really is, mm-hmm. you know, what work ethic really looks like, you know, being, being a person of accountability, you know, not just integrity, but being punctual, being assertive, teaching people how to have self, self-confidence self in themselves. and Just yeah. the mentorship that I bring to the table, I think, is more valuable than the basketball itself mm-hmm. because a lot of these kids – need the mentorship these days they they may not have both parents at home or maybe they have a bunch of people tell them what they want to hear and they're looking for sound advice well yeah i can speak to both spectrums Mm -hmm. yeah um i'm kind of curious like you know i i played myself and i was i was a a good player in high school i was a good player from from a pretty young age and um i've always told kids like you know i didn't really experience failure until i got to college and I'm curious as to your thoughts on that. Do you ever wish that you had experienced failure at a young age? Do you think that it's important to teach kids like things aren't always going to work out the way you want and, and how to handle it? Yeah, I think failure is good, you know, as a whole for any for people in general, you know, yeah. because it keeps you keeps you hungry. You know, when things are going well, you become complacent indirectly because you just get used to this rhythm of things that just flowing. Well, mm-hmm. sometimes they don't flow. What are you doing when they're not flowing? And when, when you're disappointed and maybe you worked hard and it didn't work out, what are you doing to fix it? Are you just existing or are you working to change that? Anybody can do well when things are going good, but when you're tested and you face that real adversity, that's when you know what you got, how you respond in those moments. Yeah. And you think basketball can teach that? 100%, because yeah. it exposes your character. You know, at the end of the day, if I'm not a good defender, it's going to show. Mm-hmm. Right. If I can't shoot, it's going to show in the game. So all those intangibles that come with basketball really come with life as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And working in your basketball club, um, how do you find working with parents? Very difficult these days because uh, a lot of parents don't understand what it really entails to become that that uh, premier uh, student athlete that they're looking for their kid to be. And when they realize the work that it entails, a lot of them shy away. They don't want no part of it because a lot of people want that the microwave mentality. They want it right now. You know, you got to trust the process. And you got to fall in love with that if you want to see real results. Shay, my last question for you, and it's kind of a two-part question, and I, I always try to ask people, um, how, how do you define success 
for yourself as a, as a person? And like, you know, after everything you've been through, um, do you consider yourself a success? I, I do. Well, the first part, success to me is, is, is basically achieving, you know, everything that they said I couldn't have and then some. And, uh, yes, I do consider myself a success. You know, being a black man in North America, first and foremost, without a, without a prison record and a, and a, and a, and a jacket on me, yeah. to be able to, you know, qualify for any loan and, and get, you know, businesses set up and things like that, like I have now, which which I'm operating through. You got to know what you're getting into to really know how to how to handle it, know how to navigate that experience. Yeah, yeah. I think some people need some honest honest advice when it comes to, you know, what it really means to play college basketball, what you have to sacrifice and, and prepare for. Well, Shane, man, that's all I got for you. I, I really appreciate you you joining us. Um, and uh, I would encourage everybody listening to this to, to like you said, go check out uh, the documentary Manchild and um, find out find out the story, the behind the scenes of, of the Shea Cotton story. Um, I want Shane, I mean, as as a as a fan of yours, I want to thank you for for taking the time to talk with us. And uh, you know, I think a lot of kids listening out there that are trying to reach a certain level of basketball parents that want their kids to reach a certain level have a lot to learn from from your story so i i hope they listen to this i hope they watch your documentary and i just you know want to thank you again for your time thank you again too, Logan. all right shay good luck to you man a few things struck me after my conversation with shay one of them being with our current system youth basketball was and still is a business and shay saw the ugly side number two no matter where you're ranked how high or how low by the so-called experts. Your path is never set in stone. Some players grow, some don't. Some players improve while others stay the same. Some players get injured while others stay healthy. As a lot of people say, the journey is the reward. And no matter where yours ends, like Shea Cotton, you can still find success. This episode was edited by Sabrina Kosmalski. Original music by Ryan Winters. Thank you to Shea Cotton for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you to Nelson Kosmalski for supplying emotional support during this podcast. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs>